0: Hello and welcome to the CER podcast. I'm Charles Grant, Director of the Centre for European Reform. I have with me Nick Clegg, the Liberal Democrat spokesman on European matters and a former Deputy Prime Minister. We're going to talk a little bit about the new paper published today by Nick and colleagues on the consequences for trade of Britain leaving the EU. Uh, Nick, let's start off with one decision the government has to take quite soon in the UK. Does it stay in the EU's customs union or not? Why does that decision matter? Well, it matters because
1: the government has been very uh, clear that it wants to uh, strike out and negotiate a number of deals with uh, countries outside the European Union. This week they've been talking about Australia and so on. You cannot do that uh, if you are uh, uh, a member of the uh, tariff which binds together all of the existing European Union. So you have to abrogate from the common external tariff if you want to negotiate other deals on their own. The The, the problem, of course, then arises that uh, first you can't actually conclude those negotiations with those other countries until you've left the common external tariff and indeed the rest of the European Union. So there's a sort of chronology issue. But also if you were to leave the common external tariff, those British companies that export into the European Union and want to do so in the future will suddenly be confronted with an absolute mountain load of paperwork that they have to fill in uh, as their as their products are exported into a common external tariff of which we are no longer a member.
0: So that's quite a lot of extra bureaucracy for British exporters if we leave the customs Union.
1: Yeah, look, I think there's going to be lots and lots of nasty surprises in the next few years for the government, for Westminster, for for the public, uh, as the reality of what Brexit means becomes more apparent. And I think one of the biggest surprises will be that leaving the European Union, far from being some great blow against bureaucracy, will be an absolute generator of additional red tape. Brexit red tape is going to become a big problem, particularly for those parts of the economy uh, which have become used over many, many years to uh, exporting effortlessly and without burdensome paperwork into the European Union. They are suddenly going to be treated, um, well, obviously as outsiders who have to fill in lots of paperwork to make sure that they're not circumventing the,
0: the terms of the common external tariff course, uh, we can predict. I think it is likely that Mrs. May will decide to leave the Customs Union. Because if not, her new international trade secretary, lynn Fox, won't have a job to do. Because we can't negotiate free trade agreements with anybody else if we stay in the Customs Union. So let's just assume that we do leave the Customs Union. Then, of course, we have to go to the World Trade Organization in Geneva. And uh, although we're a member, we're not a, some normal member. We'd have to deposit a, a schedule of tariffs and uh quotas and subsidies with the wto how how simple a process would that be well it's not simple for the for the reason that we have not um
1: had our own as they call it in the jargon uh, schedule of commitments in the wto as the united kingdom we have we have been part of the EU pack. we put a, we've we've put forward as a sort of collective package which we've lodged at the WTO which sets the terms of the the tariffs uh, that we, which we with which which we impose on products from else, elsewhere in the world um, so we're going to have to develop our own trade identity if i can put it like that from scratch and doing so incidentally without Uh, remotely the the necessary expertise in Whitehall um, because all that expertise for so long has been concentrated in Brussels and then of course we need to do that by consensus there are 160 odd countries in the WTO now the vast vast majority of them will no doubt just want the UK to kind of do its own thing but do not underestimate quite how fiddly it is to go through each tariff line by line by line tariff on processed meats here tariff on plastic ducks there tariff on car parts mm. there you have to go through thousands of these tariff lines i mean it is mind-numbing stuff and all those 160 countries have to then go through uh, jump through all those hurdles and then they have to approve of it and if they any of them if
0: just one of them wants to make any mischief they can mm. put a spanner in the works i spoke to one british diplomat who was worried about argentina because argentina does actually of course export beef Uh, to Europe and to the UK. And, you know, the Argentinians might just find some little matter concerning the Falkland Islands that would make them difficult on this negotiation. But let's hope not from Britain's point of view. Um, Another issue you you raise in your paper, Nick, is that uh, Britain at the moment benefits from just over 50 free trade agreements between the EU and other countries in other parts of the world, Vietnam, Algeria, Mm. Israel, and so on, Um, Singapore. Um, the day we leave the EU, those free trade agreements cease to apply to Britain. So, uh, how on earth does a government hell bent on leaving the EU kind of stop the, the, the damage being done through those FTAs disappearing from a British point of view? So the answer that Liam Fox
1: has given so far, as much as I can understand, is to say, "Oh, it's no problem. We will, in the sort of rather uh, sort of opaque jargon, we will grandfather." Uh, the uh, terms of the trade agreements that exist between the European Union and therefore Britain and these 50-odd countries. We will will sort of carbon copy them into a British deal with, say, uh, Vietnam. The great, great problem of that is the following, is that those deals were struck between an economic superpower or trade superpower, the European Union, and a lot of these smaller countries who then, of course, gave huge concessions because they wanted to have access to this massive market of 500 million. But why should those countries simply carbon copy the agreement they have with this much bigger trade partner with a country which is now much smaller in scale? Significant, yes, of course, the British economy is significant, but it is significantly smaller than the EU as a whole. So in, 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 how can I put it? you can't really grandfather an agreement if the if the sort of grandfather no longer is no longer there um mm. and so i think it is going to be as with all of these things so much more complicated than the sort of breezy um sort of short circuit approach that Liam Fox and others appear to be promoting at the moment.
0: And the clock will be ticking because I think the exit negotiations under Article 50 will take two years. Our partners don't want to extend that period. And so we'll only have two years to try and catch up and, and negotiate. bilaterally actually with these 53 or however many countries it is uh, with F- FDAs, it will be quite a quite a job for the new uh, uh, Ministry of Foreign Trade to, to contend with. Of course, the Minister for Foreign Trade, the Secretary of State, Liam Fox, is talking about striking free trade agreements with china with the united states with australia uh, with 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 japan with many countries in other parts of the world how easy will it be for him to do so and how willing will these other countries be to uh, do deals with britain while while we're still actually a member of the eu i think the danger if, to be blunt with Liam fox is he's going to become if he's not
1: careful on the international scene at least i mean i, I can't I can't judge for how he's perceived in Westminster, but on the international scene, I think the, I think he's in danger of becoming a bit of a figure of fun because you can't just go around the world and say to great economic superpowers like you know Japan, India, the United States, and China, yes, we're going to, it's all going to be fine. You're going to do exactly what we want. You're going to sign along the dotted line when we want on the terms that we want. I mean, I have to say to you, I spent considerably longer than Liam Fox ever did actually negotiating trade agreements with hard-bitten trade negotiators in China and Russia. These are unsentimental folk, and they really are going to be smirking at the idea that somehow uh, they're going to sort of jump just because Liam Fox does, when he'll be doing so on behalf of an economy, the British economy, which is far, far smaller than the big EU gorilla that they used to have to deal with in
0: the past. Finally, Nick, I think we'd both agree that the free trade agreement that matters the most is the one that Britain will almost certainly need to negotiate with the EU mm. Because I think we both agree that um, some sort of membership of the single market on the basis that Norway has of the European economic area is rather unlikely that would require free movement of labour, which is probably not possible for the British uh, political class to accept. So we, we expect it is likely there'll be a free trade agreement. Now, the thing is about free trade agreements, they tend to cover manufactured goods uh which may be quite good for the, for the manufacturing parts of the British government but what about services as a as a former trade negotiator who used to work in the European Commission on trade negotiations you, you know these technicalities how how much could a free trade agreement between Britain and the EU actually help Britain's services industries there are two things which are
1: at the moment consistently missed in the parliamentary and public debate about this issue of whether you have access or participate or have some form of surrogate membership of the single market after leaving the European Union. The first is uh, the disproportionate importance of services to the British economy. About 80% of our GDP is represented by services. And whilst a lot of those services don't depend on access to the single market, the potential for the growth of British services is heavily dependent on the completion of the single market in services digital services, financial services, legal services, uh, and and so on. So actually, the, the ability for us to thrive as a service-dominated economy is heavily dependent on the terms uh, that are struck as far as services are concerned in that new trade agreement with the European Union. And it's much, generally speaking, it's much, much more difficult to arrive at agreements in the area of services than it is on tariffs. Tariffs is just, it's numbers. Just numbers. Do you put them up? Do you put them down? Services all to do with qualifications, norms, standards. You know, can a British lawyer with the same qualifications here uh, operate seamlessly in Spain as they can in in, in Finland? Um, that 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 sort of penetrates into the kind of very heart of uh, domestic culture and uh, the regulatory cultures, which makes it much more complicated. That's the first thing. The second thing uh, about the single market is. The single market is in effect, and it was of course a British creation created by a British commissioner, Lord Cofield, promoted heavily at the time by Margaret Thatcher, is in effect a body of law, it's a body of rules, which is why when it was created it did get a reputation for being a bit fiddly, because it had to it had to enter into all the kind of nooks and crannies of red tape in each country to replace what would otherwise be 28 bits of red tape with just one bit of red tape. and. That is the value of the single market, is that we're not faced, never mind tariffs, we're not we're not faced with a barrage of different forms of red tape across the European continent. And that is why it is going to be so extremely difficult to reconcile Theresa May's stated wish to either have proper access to, or certainly to have a very close relationship with the single market, with her equally strongly uh, stated assertion to... Uh, reassert full sovereignty and control over all the rules that prevail over the British economy. You can't do it at the same time. You cannot have untrammeled access to a single market of rules and somehow not be directly or indirectly
0: subservient to the rules of that single market. I think that's a point that very few people in Britain understand, unfortunately. But one important sector of the British economy, of course, is the financial services industry. Uh, It provides a huge proportion of tax revenues to the Exchequer. It's maybe, depending on a definition, about 10% of GDP, if you include related business services. Uh, The City of London has benefited enormously from the single market. Banks, foreign and British, regulated in London, can do business, trade, sell, uh, do whatever they want, all over the EU without being regulated by anybody else, under the so-called passporting system, whereby the British passport suffices to let them do what they want elsewhere. And the trade agreements that the EU has negotiated with other countries, like Canada, which the negotiations finished, like the so-called TTIP agreement with America, which is not finished, it may, may never be finished, these trade agreements do not cover financial services. So my worry is that if we just have a free trade agreement between Britain and the EU, uh, the City of London will get clobbered, it'll lose the passporting. Is, what, what would be, What would you say to those in the City of London who are concerned? I think they're very right to be concerned, or at least
1: those parts those parts of the City of London that upon which the passporting rights, the ability to service clients across the European Union from their base in London is so important to their operations. And they're very right to be concerned. I mean, there is a technical possibility for reasons that I won't go into now, that under a directive which is going to come into effect relatively soon, that you could include passporting rights with countries outside the European Union. But I really don't see what the incentive is for the rest of the European Union to concede that right to the British financial services uh, uh, sector when they will be very busily trying to attract a lot of that business to their own capitals. But here's the problem. Even if the rest of the European Union wanted to be generous on the passporting rights, we still have the problem that we have a Brexit government driven by some very hardline Brexit ideologues who won't accept that in return for those passporting rights, our British financial services industry will in effect have to abide by rules made by others in the rest of the European Union. And that I come back to it again. This is the fundamental contradiction, uh, which will, in my view, be the stump, the, 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 the biggest stumbling block of all in the coming years, which is that this government has sown the seeds of its own gridlock because it cannot deliver at the one and the same time the market access that British industry wants including financial services and untrammeled 19th century style parliamentary sovereignty over the rules which govern our economy. It is impossible to do that and at some point that contradiction will become glaringly obvious and at that point I predict there'll be real political volatility as the public wake up to the fundamental contradictions of the two sides of the conservative brain that have led us to this sorry pass in the first place.
0: I think that's a good conclusion, Nick. The May government will have to recognise and come clean with the British public on the fundamental trade-offs involved. More sovereignty will in the long run mean less trade and will be less good for the economy. And if we're prepared to give up some sovereignty, then we can have more trade. That's the difficult dilemma for British policymakers to contend with. Thank you very much, Nick, for talking to us. Uh, Your paper on trade policy was launched today at the Centre for European Reform and is on the Liberal Democrat website. Thank you for listening to the CER podcast. You can find more on our website cer.org.uk or follow us on Twitter at cer_london.